Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report powered by the National Cannabis Industry Association, also known as the NCIA, one of the largest trade associations in the cannabis industry to date. I am your host, Khadija Adams, founder of Girl Get That Money and the Green Street Academy, here for our weekly check-in and interviews with minority-owned companies in the space, companies that support social equity and social equity applicants themselves, as well as cannabis industry leaders and pioneers. Joining me today is my co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of I Love You Media. Let's check out the latest news and happenings in the cannabis industry today. Well, here are seven companies that are actually giving back, okay, to Black communities. So first we have Tonic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the CBD brand called Tonic. Not only do they sell an array of products, skincare, and all that stuff, but they're actually giving back to a cause called the Purpose Program, which was founded in March 2019 for Pride Month. Really like that organization and like what they're actually doing. They put in almost $60,000 or donated almost $60,000 to a variety of nonprofits um, to, to actually help the Black and Brown communities. And so I really like that. And then there's um, Visito. It's, it's actually an LA cannabis brand. Um, they actually make those little mini joints and all this, but they actually partnered with Equity Finance Alliance, and it's a nonprofit that aims to repair the damage that was done um, from the war on drugs. And then there's Justice Joints. Alexis, have you ever heard of Justice Joints? <laughs> I want a Justice Joint, okay? But there's Justice Joints, and it's really, um, it was designed... Um, by the California-based company called Canadescent. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And it's to help those incarcerated on marijuana-related charges, and it's to help them get out of jail. And they also actually partnered with the last prisoner project. And then there's Limon or Limon. Um, I like the fact that Limon really helps out the national bail, um, bailout. They had the national bailout event. Um, it is a Black-led organization that's working to free Black people who are currently behind bars. The founder is Bianca uh, Monica, I think, and um, really like what, what they're doing over there. And then finally, there's something called cookies. Have you guys ever heard of it? I never heard of cookies, but for whatever, all intents and purposes, there's a company called Cookies. And guess what? They provide training, education. Um, and, and then I also like they have um, resume creation. They have a resume reviews and mock interviews to really prepare black and brown people to um, you know, re-educate them and get them into the industry. And then there's Gossamer. I hope I'm saying that right. G-O-S-S-A-M-E-R. All right. Anyways. Um, they actually cre create or produce consumable cannabis products, and they're also known for their publication under the same name. Now, they're actually giving back to Black and Brown communities as well. You know, when I found out about these companies and the fact that they're part of so many different nonprofits and have supported different nonprofits that are minority-owned in the cannabis space, I just couldn't wait to share that information with you guys because I think it's really important for us to know that there are companies out there that's willing to help and willing to give back to black and brown communities. And then next, racial disparity in cannabis arrests. We all know that African-Americans arrested for violating cannabis possession 
um, laws at nearly four times the rate as whites, yet both ethnicities consume cannabis at roughly the same um, rates. Now, a 2021 analysis of cannabis-related arrests in 2020 in New York City's five boroughs reported that people of color, now mind you, this is in 2020, people of color are still being arrested at 94% rate. Are you kidding me? In New York. Like, New York, you need to wake up already, all right? Um, and then we have the Senate in... Um, you guys, in Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, so the Senate passes a marijuana legalization bill, but Governor Ned Lamont, who's also, by the way, a Democrat, threatens to veto it. In fact, he says this. He was arguing that it opens up the industry to tens of thousands of people who previously are in, were ineligible to get um, priority um, licenses. Um, what's up, Ned? What you mean by... People, what you trying to say? Don't don't speak around us now. Let's be clear. Say say what it is that you mean, okay? So that's my question for Ned. What people are you talking about, bro? Seriously, Alexis, I'm gonna pass it to you for the next three highlights. You are on mute. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry about that. So murder case involving Oklahoma cannabis entrepreneur highlights issues of race and security. So LaRue Brasher, 34-year-old Army veteran, was at his cannabis grow operation in Oklahoma City on May 24, 2020, when an alleged robber attempted to break in for the second night in a row. Uh, Brasher then shot the intruder, killing him. Uh, unfortunately for Brasher, he um, was unable to renew his grow license due to $100,000 of warehouse renovations. He was operating illegally and was charged with a felony and his plants valued at $1.5 million were confiscated. Uh, with a felony charge, he was then unable to use any self-defense or stand your ground clauses. Uh, those were all inadmissible. Um, now, over a year later, LaRue still is waiting trial um, for first degree murder and that trial is scheduled for October. So this case does have many questioning whether the situation would have been looked at differently if the tables were turned and this was a white business owner shooting a black intruder. Um, next, we have um, last Thursday. On oh, the wait, 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 Alexis, let me stop you. So was Lamont, was he black? Who, what, what's the guy's yeah. name? Yes, yeah, so LaRue Bratcher. So he, he's black? Yes. And so he shot someone who was breaking into his illegal cultivation. Right. And the only reason, though, that it was considered illegal is he did have a license, but due to so many circumstances and, um, you know, it just isn't an example of why everyone in the cannabis industry, especially people of color, really need to make sure that they are getting everything in compliance. In compliance. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, he was not, he's not even able to plead self-defense in this, this really unique and troubling case. So I definitely would look into that. It's in the can in Oklahoma market. Um, so next, uh, last Thursday on the 50th anniversary of Nixon's declaration on the war on drugs, the Maine House of Representatives um, approved a bill to decriminalize possession of all illicit drugs. So if passed, it would make possession of controlled substances for personal use punishable by only a $100 fine without the threat of jail. And that fine could also be waived with the completion of a substance misuse assessment and course. Uh, representatives Charlotte, Charlotte Warren and Ann 
and Perry both made statements with a stance that this is a way to help treat addiction as a disease and stop criminalizing people for a symptom, hoping that this leads to rehabilitation instead of jail time, which typically does lead to more negative outcomes. Um, and lastly, as we all know, President Biden signed off on Juneteenth last week, becoming a federal holiday. Um, the vote was passed in both the House and the Senate. Uh, interestingly, though, 14 members of the House did vote against it. Um, Missouri Representative Cori Bush did release a very powerful statement that I'd like to read. Um, she say, said, as we officially make Juneteenth a federal holiday, we continue our fight for true liberation. While slavery in its original form has ended, Black people in our country are still chained, beaten, abused, arrested, and targeted, and detained at a disproportionate rate. Our history continues to be whitewashed. Our communities continue to be underfunded and overcriminalized. Freedom is not simply intended to mean freedom from enslavement. Freedom is an affirmative, act an affirmative goal. It is one that promises liberation, safety, and peace of mind. It is, a, it is a promise of a full, prosperous, and joyous life. Yes, we need Juneteenth, but we also need reparations. We need, <laughs> we need to end police violence and the war on drugs. We need to end voter suppression and protect the access to the ballot. We need to teach the truth about white supremacy in our classrooms, and we must prioritize Black liberation in totality. Only then will we truly be free. So that was um, Representative Cori Bush of Missouri. So she put yeah. it very... Um, I'm glad she yeah. added that piece about reparations, because to me, like you're okay. First of all, Juneteenth should have been um, um, a federal holiday a long time ago. Let's just right. be clear. But reparations should have happened a long time ago as well. And so, honestly, I'm really glad that she threw that piece in there because I understand the celebration of freedom. I get that. I understand the celebration of Independence Day for Black people. But I don't understand the fact that we still have to fight for reparations when there are other ethnicities out there who have been paid reparations. So I have a huge problem with that. So, you know, I don't like to settle for what we've been given, if you will, right? And that's why it's so much, you know, um, what do they call it, civil unrest and all this other stuff is because, hey, who's gonna listen? Like, you need to listen. Like, you need to make this happen and you need to make it happen today. Yeah. So back to you, Alexis. I'm sorry for interrupting, but I had oh, to I agree. Some really I agree. juicy news um, topics. Thank you. Yeah. Well, coming up next, we're gonna talk to our special guest, Sayun Adidaje. Adita G, apologize, the founder and CEO of Elevate Cannabis. We're going to learn more about his cannabis story and get his perspective on social equity rights after these messages. Hi, my name is Monica Gray. I'm really Cargyle. My name is Sharon Adita G. Even though I've been a member of the National Cannabis Industry Association for the last decade, this year, I moved up my support and my membership to the Evergreen tier. With the help of NCIA and being an Evergreen member, we believe that we could push this agenda forward. Banking's always been my number one issue. Um, payment processing has always been a huge issue, cash payments. But now that the cell phone companies are getting involved, we need to make sure that we get minorities and African-Americans, people that have been affected by the war on drugs, indigenous people, brown and black people holistically needs to be a part of this conversation. It is so amazing to have a group like NCIA that has my back.
let's get you in front of these senators that don't know what it's like. And as the best of the best, and we want to make sure we have we have a voice as cannabis legalization is moving forward. Government relations and advocacy directly affect the bottom line. Really getting to the table as a small business member to making sure that the small business member um, small business owner gets a voice at this policy table. Part ensuring a smooth transition into federal legalization and regulation for our legacy industry here in California. Realizing that you, no one's going to fight for you like you can fight for yourself, I decided to take um, NCIA's support in joining this tier of focusing on policy. We need to come together and push for this agenda. It is critical that our industry steps up and engages. We need to make sure that our voices are heard. We have the support of NCIA by joining the Evergreen tier as our lobbying firm for us, the little people. Cannabis business owners, entrepreneurs that really see the bigger picture to say, let's push this agenda forward. We can't do this without you. It is so difficult to run a business and be a small business owner in this space, in this cannabis space. I encourage you to join me and become an Evergreen member today. We need your help. Join the Evergreen tier and fight. We are back with Shayun Adidiji, the founder and CEO of Elevate. He is the youngest African-American man in America to own a cannabis dispensary. He's been on the front lines of legalization process in multiple states and brings significant commercial real estate experience to Elevate as a real estate investor and a landlord. He's been featured in Leafly, Mary Jane, and Wisconsin Watch and serves as the cannabis czar for the Black Commerce Chamber of Commerce and sits on the board of the NCIA. Uh, welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report podcast. It's really great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Alexis and Khadija. Thank you. Of course. Um, so uh, you want to just give us a little bit of background on uh, your your journey into the cannabis industry? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Sean Dataji. I'm the founder and CEO of Elevate Cannabis. I'm originally from Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, migrated to the United States at the age of five, moved to Chicago, Illinois. Growing up, we didn't have such a holistic home, so I was just a hustler. I was a guy shoveling snow, raking leaves, uh, selling gum and candy at school, whatever I had to do to really make the financial. And I did that. Um, I then later on up upgraded myself uh, to selling cannabis at a really early age. There was more, uh, you know, profits to be made. And I got arrested at the age of 13 for marijuana possession, uh, pivoting. Uh, it was a life-changing uh, moment for me personally. And I moved to Texas. Uh, while I lived in Texas, I looked at changing my life and turning things around, really focusing on my education, lived with my auntie. She was the first woman ever to show me unconditional love. And we went to church more than ever before in my life. So my auntie, I'm talking about Wednesday night vigils, whatever church program was going on, we were there. So uh, it was a fun experience living with my auntie. She was a great woman. Um, later on, I moved to uh, Washington State. Um, while I was in Washington State, I saw cannabis legalization unfold right in front of my eyes. Um, I was a young uh, 
really young and I, I had a corporate job at the time. Um, I was affected by cannabis uh, and, and, um, and, and I looked at how can I get into this emerging industry? I saw the revenue that big corporations were making on a daily, monthly basis. And it was mind blowing to me uh, because the state of Washington had like a open source data. So if you're, you can look at revenues that the cultivators, um, you know, retailers are making and generating. Um, so that really motivated me more to say, you know what, we've been wrongfully arrested for marijuana possession. This is a great business to be in. And uh, I started my journey. Um, I got rejected for about two to three years in this process. Um, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Uh, you need about a million to 10 million in some cases, even more, uh, depending on what aspect of the cannabis industry you're trying to get into. And for me, I was looking at retail. So we needed a million dollars to get our business open. Washington State was a lottery state. Um, we didn't win the lottery. I was scared. I was nervous. I was like, oh, I'm too young. Can I do it? I don't have a million. How am I going to get a million? What? Oh, my God. You know, just so many things. I was self-defeated uh, before I even started just looking at the laws, reading the laws. And um, so I finally mustered up the courage and the strength to say, you know what? If I failed, I failed, but I failed fighting and swinging and I failed and it was not failure. It was lessons. And um, I used to ask myself, why am I scared to fail? And I, I finally realized I was listening to Gary V one day and it gave me the realization I wasn't scared to fail. I was scared that my friends were going to laugh at me saying that, hey, you know, I knew he couldn't make it. And that was what was scary. It was not failure because anybody can fail. But it was just the, the people in your group or your surroundings making fun of you. That was the scariest part for me personally. Um, and, and I just uh, I kept working and getting rejected, but getting back up. And um, and we opened my first dispensary in Eugene, Oregon. I pivoted it to Oregon after we didn't win in Washington State. And um, and, you know, we we're here now. We are a multi-state operator. We have locations in Massachusetts. We're growing. We're building. Uh, we are helping different states write their social equity bills. Uh, we lobbied in the state of uh, Illinois for real estate to be removed as a criteria to get minorities into the cannabis industry. Um, we also lobbied for the revolving loan using a percentage of tax revenue associated to, uh, to, to help minorities that have been affected by the war on drugs. And just not even that, a lot of people don't even want to get in the cannabis industry. So what we lobby for is just like, hey, let's use some of those funds to help the communities. And I think Illinois has done a really great job in that regard. I wouldn't say the licensing process has been my favorite part, but uh, in that regard, giving back to the community that have been mostly harmed by the war on drugs, they, that I give them kudos for it. So kudos to them on that. And Massachusetts, real quick shout out, one of the best social equity programs out there, Shalene Title, she's crushing off, man, they're trying their best, and I respect that. Wow. Beautiful. Um, well, my next question was, what were some major challenges you experienced and how did you overcome them? So you kind of touched on that if you have any others that you want to bring up. But I also remember um, hearing you talk about um, about when you had to you know, get investors and looking for those because you were looking for long term investors. Do you want to touch on that as well? Love to hear that. Yeah, you know, getting an investor, especially as an African American man, um, you know, we we're scared. We we we're scared, and sometimes it was ego. I'm um, asking for money. 
we feel like, oh, we should already have money or, you know, we don't even know the terms or me. I, I can only speak for me. I didn't know, like, what would be the best route to go to get this money, right? I had this idea, but how do I even evaluate my company to then how do I explain and justify the evaluation I'm placing on a company that has not even yet generated revenue? Right. Is that crazy or not? So I think a lot of time is just really educating us ourselves on what is possible. How are these tech companies going out there raising millions and millions of dollars and their technology is not even out yet, but they're going it, it, they're going out there raising millions. So, you know, I I, I didn't, I have a, a, a better knowledge now, but in the past I didn't. So what I did personally was I, I saved up every penny and dime I had to my name. Um, I, I called friends and family uh, that, that would listen to me. Um, and a lot of them, everyone said no. So what I did was I used my own personal money, credit card, and I, I won the license in Oregon. So when I won the license, I decreased a lot of the investor risk associated to whether or not they should invest. There was not the question. I already had the piece of paper. I had properties. I had the ability to start selling. So it was an easier sales uh, to them. And I think a lot of people take things personal. You cannot take things personal in business. You have to understand the other person is looking out for their best interest. It's not a charity. You're looking to make money. They're looking to make money. Like try to find a win-win situation. And you, you also have to understand what are you willing to give up? You can't just ask for something for nothing. You can't get nothing, something for nothing. You, you have to understand that a lot of these banks, big corporations, they're looking to win. Um, whether you understand what, what an invisible capital is and you leverage invisible capital, whatever that looks like, um, you know, just just make sure you educate yourself, educate yourself on the organization you're looking to raise money from. What it, what what do they stand for? What are their core values? Do you align with that? Because not all money are good money. You know, there's some money where um, you become the slave. like, you know, you legitly mentally are. You're, you're not happy within the organ. You can't make decisions within your organization that you know or feel is right to move your organization to the next level. But because you have different people that their core values don't align with yours, but you took their money and they're majority shareholders of your company. So they don't care about like what is right or wrong. They care about the bottom line. And how you're going to make their money back and more. So, you know, things like that, you really have to sit back and consider that everybody wants to get rich fast. It's not like, you know, I tell people it took me seven years to be here. So I worked my you know tail off for seven years where I used to sleep in my shop for a whole year. For the first year in business, I worked from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. And that was just the business hours. This is not like closing the shop and doing the books. I, I, I used to tell people I was a COE. I was the chief of everything. Legitly had to do everything. Like I didn't have no backers. The backers were myself. And, and you know, a lot of people will say, um, you know, I have to wait for this to be right in order to do this. And, or this is my business plan and I'm going to get here. And a lot of times they don't even start with the first step. And they're already talking about step 50. I'm like, bro, where, 
like you know it's a gradual step you you have to take things um a step at a time so that's what we did really well i knew that we were not heavily capitalized i was not ashamed of it i took what we had and i just made i made gold yeah you did i first of all i love that you also had quoted gary v earlier and i love his uh, mentality but also like you said just don't you can't self-sabotage yourself yourself, <laughs> um, and find people that align with you. So thanks for bringing that up because a lot of these people are um, predatory of social equity applicants, you know, so you got to be very careful. So great words of wisdom and caution for people. Um, so let me ask you this. What does the term social equity mean to you? It's justice. Um, it's people that have been affected by the war on drugs communities that have been affected by the war on drugs, people that have been, you know, <laughs> affected um, in, in, in different ways, lack of education, lack of resources, right? Uh, it, it goes beyond just drugs to me. It goes to human rights. Um, a lot of people where I came from, we don't even, you know, like, like things that like when I go back to where I used to, you know, come from, it's the, it's the lack of education, it's the lack of understanding our rights and, and the, the ability to dream bigger. You know, we, we couldn't dream bigger. We couldn't fathom being in these rooms um, because it seemed like, a, like it's, it's not realistic for us, right? And, you know, when I look at what social equity can do within and what the cannabis is doing and the initiative of social equity is changing the wealth gap is the, 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 the community holistically understanding that, you know what, we were wrong um, for a lot of things. Um, and how do we rewrite this wrong? And re by rewriting this wrong is, is giving these people that have been unfairly treated um, the opportunity to, to, to create generational wealth. Um, because uh, by creating wealth within our community, we then hire more people within our community. We then show a different narrative of our community. Um, and a lot of times when I'm in rooms, uh, you know, people, and, and you just look at my background, getting arrested at 13, um, you know, I took a different path. Most people go to college. I didn't take that path. You know, I, I took a different path of actually starting my business right away and, and showing that, hey, look, we're very intelligent. We can be in this room. Um, we do understand how to structure a business if we were given the opportunity to. And, and the thing is, too, I learned that a lot of these people outside of social equity is we're, we're scared. Like we don't feel like we're good enough at in certain instance. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I had something called the imposter syndrome. Um, and I'm not sure if anybody ever had that, but the imposter syndrome is just essentially, even though we were gaining all this like momentum, all this success, and we were doing this, it was like, I didn't feel like, Hey, are, am I supposed to be in this room? I've never been told that I have the right to be in this room or lobby senators or state representatives and to or push agendas or laws over. So uh, social equity is giving people hope and changing the wealth gap. Thank you. Yeah. And and at 13, having a charge like that, I'm sure for a lot of young men has 
they can either take, you know, two paths and it puts the odds definitely not in their favor, especially when you're just told that, you know, you're a criminal for a plant. Um, but, you know, what would you say is your number one thing that really just keeps your fire going to keep pushing for the cause and for, for social equity? It's not a racism marathon. Um, what keeps me going is understanding that, you know, that it's, it's small incremental wins small incremental wins, right? That, that would lead to bigger wins. Um, and, and I take it at that is, and we don't stop, you know, yeah, we win this. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. There's still people in jail, right? So yes, we're doing this. Yes. We're speaking here. Yes. We, oh, that's great. Round of applause. It's not over yet. We still got to get more people out of jail. We still got to create more wealth. Um, and, and that's what keeps me going and understanding that I don't know it all, like the, the understand that I don't and, and being able to seek help, understanding that, you know, I'm not, I, it's okay not to be the smartest. Like, I, I think that a lot of people in our community, they want to be the smartest or you were taught we should know it all. Um, you don't have to know it all. Um, and what keeps me going is just the ability to learn and change people's lives. Thank you. Thank you. Love, yeah. love a humble king. <laughs> and yeah, you seem very down to earth, which I appreciate. Um, I'm sure every, you know, we all do. We're all still learning together, right? And we're pushing forward on this marathon. Um, so I know Khadija now has some questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know what, first of all, I want to say that um, not only am I impressed, or let me just say this, I am overly impressed with what you've been able to accomplish in the cannabis industry and your stick to itness. Because let me tell you something: it, it when I lost everything in 2016 coming in this industry in 2014 and, and lost li literally everything, went through a divorce, went through a whole team of people. Literally, I could have crawled and rolled up into a fetal position, you know, and just given up. But it does take that stick to itness, and so I'm like overly impressed with you on that. So here's my question for you, Shaymoon: As a black man in the cannabis industry, do you still have that the same concerns with law enforcement um, that you did when you were in the black market? I'm just more educated, and I understand my rights. I don't, I don't, I don't do none of that. Peace and love. I'm gonna call my attorney. We're gonna settle this. That's right. I, yeah, I like that. See, I love that. So I, I'm like you. I believe that we have to re educate our communities because we've been educated with lies for such a long time that a lot of us are very confused as to what to believe. And so re educating our communities um, is really important. So, what advice would you give people interested in starting their own cannabis dispensary? Man, I don't rely on nobody. Rely on yourself. If you want it, go get it. Ain't nobody going to give you nothing. And I'm just coming from the heart. Like, this is from the heart because I see a lot of people talking about they want to be in this cannabis industry. And don't, don't, don't rely on nobody. Like, put in the work. Put in the time. And that, that, that's going to speak for yourself. Even, even like, I, it took me seven years to get to where I'm at right now. Like I used to sleep in my shop. I couldn't even afford food. I used to eat ramen noodles. I told them I was a chef, you know, like- No, that's right. I mean, like, you know, I was a chef with it. I had like, you know, those plug-in slow stove. 
you know, I was chefing it up. I know I that's home, you know, like I can't afford it. I said, that's cool. I can't, I, that, that don't mean I can't in the future. That's right. With every bruises became lessons. You know, it gave me more confidence. Like, oh man, I, I can make it through. Khadija talking about, look, I lost the, the same time like two years ago uh, because of the cannabis industry, my account was frozen. We had zero dollars. Account was frozen because there was a state investigation. Had a whole state investigation. Uh, we had a million dollar, multi million dollar deal. Blah blah. blah. We got a mill from it. Um, that caused some stuff to happen where they wanted to see if I truly own my company, which I did. So I had nothing to hide. But they had to create a whole new department. Took them a couple of months to write the regulation. Took them a couple of months to hire the right people. Took them a couple of months to do the investigation while, boom, I got a divorce. The, my ex didn't believe that, hey, man, this is Chop saying going to ever open. Wow. Of course. You get what I'm saying? Because just the whole process of like, man, it's been years. We're expanding. We had a property in Oregon. We leased it out. The landlord wants to, she was getting older, so she wants to sell her building. Guess what? We're still federally illegal. So everybody that wanted to buy the building went to the bank, and the bank was going to give them money, found out there was a cannabis business, said no. Mm -hmm. The our time to renew our lease, landlord refused, even though after we spent a lot of like time, money, effort, doing exactly what she told us to do. Now, mm -hmm. I couldn't personal. Boom. We had about 30 to 60 days state law to move everything to a new location. And if y'all don't know anything about Oregon, Oregon is an oversaturated market. It's dispensary like at every corner. And to find real estate is the hardest and trickiest thing to do in this industry. So that became another challenge. And we had everybody, you know, it, it was a hard thing for me, you know. And at that time, we're still applying in the state of Massachusetts. I still have properties out there and doing all this negotiating purchase and sales agreement. At the end of the day, look, everybody got a sob story. Everybody yeah. going through. I'm going to be 100, right? Everybody's going through something. You can't be like your problem is greater than anybody. Nah, man, everybody got problems. That's right. Absolutely. It's just really how you handle those problems, right? Like you said, you cannot take it personally, right? Look, look, I promise you, you know, like my ex, I wish her the best. I'm happy. I'm good. It was the hardest times in my life. You get what I'm saying? Like, and I had to fight for custody of my daughter because I travel so much. It, it was just a lot of things on a personal level. And I still have to go to work. Yeah, still had to get up. I still had to get up and work. So and you still had to smile when when you didn't feel like smiling. Am I right? In those meetings, still have to talk to investors. Still have to be strong. So, yeah. so what I'm trying to I, I'm articulating and I'm t going deeper into my personal life to show people like nothing is given. That's right. It's taking. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take you crying. It's going to take you losing people that you don't want to lose to get somewhere that you've never experienced or never been. Because none of my family ever experienced what I'm experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. I don't work for money. I work for freedom. Yeah, it took me seven years. 
Yes, it took me seven years of grinding, crying, and and just working hard, but I'm reaping the fruit of my labor. That's right. Little by little, I'm not like there's always more I can do, but now more than ever before, I'm seeing that manifestation of my hard work, of my sweat, of my tears that I really put into my business. And that's why I tell people that that's people like you humble. Well, I said, have you been through what I've been through? Most people don't realize, but most people don't realize that you can't reap and sow in the same season. You just can't reap and sow in the same. Every now and again, you'll get a little win, you'll get a little hit there, a little no, when you are because you were in your sowing season, and sometimes in your sowing season, you're gonna go through some things, but you That's still have true. to be sowing, and now you're in your reaping season where all of your hard work is now paying you off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and right now we're 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 going to we're going out to raise capital. And one one advice I would give people is, you know, um, best time to raise capital is when you have capital. Don't ever raise out of desperation. Don't ever. You, yeah, you it make, doesn't come across in your voice. Yeah, it comes across in your voice. Like for us, like when I'm in those rooms, whether you give me money, you don't give me money. I really don't care. I'm gonna invite you to our grand opening. We're going to get the stores open. You know, it, it just it's just more like my work ethic, you know, my integrity. I, and mindset. I, my mindset. You know, I've, I've started my company with like credit cards and 50,000, like $50,000 accumulating credit cards, you know, and, mm-hmm. and my personal cash. So it's just, it does, I'm going to make it happen. I'm just, I, I really feel like, yeah, I feel like we're, we're, we're growing. Um, we're punching above our weight class. Right. So I, I, I tell people we have big, hairy, audacious goals. It's like, why not dare to, you know, dream of dreams that scares and terrify you. And even if you fail, you know, that you, you as a person, your evolution is beautiful. You become more beautiful. You learn more, you think differently. So it's I love it. Uh, once again, Khadija, I appreciate you having me on here. So I gave y'all the, 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 you know what I mean? The real me. <laughs> but you know what? And that's exactly who we were looking to meet, right? The real you. Yeah. And, and, but you always show up as the real authentic you. So I appreciate that. So are you going to be speaking at any conferences or events anytime um, this year where, you know, we can actually support you and get others to support you? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure if it's solidified yet, uh, but MJ BizCon, I know we're, we're looking at something there. Um, and and uh, I believe, like, hopefully um, we're going to sign up to speak at NCIA, one of the conferences that's coming up. I'm super excited for that one. Nice. Um, it's, uh, it should be fun. If, if I have anything else coming up, I'll definitely uh, shoot you an email. Uh, we're going to have a few grand opening before the end of this year. I'm going to send y'all some invites. Hopefully y'all come out there. Um, yeah. this, I tell people we're like, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we come from the mud. Like we're just really scrappy individuals that, you know, didn't, didn't come from us. We're not saying we're this and that. We're just humble people working hard to, to build a great organization uh, that we can look at and be very proud of. You know, we might not be as big as a lot of these other organizations. We're not claiming to be. We're just saying, look, man, if you come to my turn, I'm, I'm going to work harder than you. Like you said with me, I'm just like, look, I'm not. I'm, I'm like. <laughs> I uh, love I'm that. Right? So it's, it's peace and love, but yeah. I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. 
I'm gonna do things with integrity. I don't gotta, I don't gotta fake nothing. I don't gotta act yeah. like something. I, I'm just a real person that worked hard, came from nothing, and I'm just ready to, you know, show people that you can come from nothing and be something. That's right. You absolutely can. And you know, you said something earlier, and, and, and I'm going to wrap it up in just a second, but you said something earlier about losing people. I'm a firm believer that you you know, you know don't lose people. You just drop them off where they need to be so you can get where you're going. Um, absolutely. Here, here, here's my last question for you. So how can people actually reach out to you online? How can they find you on social media and all this other stuff? Yeah, uh, you can find me on CannabisC on all social media platforms. Um, and I'm, I'm Nigerian, so I combine the, the you know, Kanabiasi uh, is like Kabiasi, um, and that means king, where I'm from, um, and cannabis. So I kind of combine them together to be the cannabis king. Since I'm the youngest African-American, then I didn't get no support. Nobody gave me money. So when I say I'm the cannabis king, that means that I did it with no help, nobody gave me nothing, and I just hustled. So that's why I feel the way I feel. So anybody that makes more money than me, good for you. But you ain't come from where I came from, you ain't do what I did, so I'm gonna stand on what I stand on. That's Stay right. up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, well we appreciate you being on the Cannabis Minority Report with us, um, and, and would love to have you back on again. So we'll be right back, right after these messages. Thanks again. What's up? I'm Vince and this is NCIA's Industry Buzz. As a trade association, NCIA has a political action committee, the NCIA PAC, that collects and contributes funds to candidates that support cannabis reform in DC. The NCIA PAC helps support our champions and politicians that will fight for us on Capitol Hill, and it enables them to continue to fight for our industry. Think of it like this. Your support for the NCIA PAC lets us support elected officials who support the cannabis industry, and it's imperative that they continue to be re-elected. You can learn more on our mobile app and at the cannabis industry. I mean, it has been a great day today with our special guest, Shaywon Adidaji. And um, from Elevate, you guys, if you don't know about him, you better look him up. You know, um, for those of you out there who just don't know where to go, what to do, how to do it, or don't feel like you can get it done, just look at his example. I'm telling you, if he can do it, anybody can do it. You know, he has a heartfelt story and it kept and it keeps him humble. And we appreciate that. So just for some local announcements and just to wrap it up, the mission of the DEI committee is to educate, advocate, engage, and empower the community of cannabis and its members by cultivating partnerships with other nonprofit organizations with similar goals, providing resources that creates and sustains an environment that is not only inclusive, but equitable and diverse. We are committed to building a culture that respects our members and celebrates their contributions as we work together to strengthen all communities in the cannabis space. Special shout out to our sponsors of the DEI program, and that's Tahoe Wellness Center, as well as Copper State Farms. And don't forget everybody that the NCIA's webinar series um, and its Midwest Cannabis Business Conference takes place September 22nd and 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. Yes, I will be there. 
Um, for more information, go to MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com. And then don't forget about our Eastern Cannabis Business Conference. That takes place December 7th and 8th in Baltimore, Maryland. And yes, your girl will be there too. Um, so for more information about that, go to EasternCannabisBusinessConference.com. And then finally, our Cannabis Business Summit takes place December 15th through the 17th in San Francisco, California. And no, I won't be there, but you will be there. Um, so for more information, go to the Cannabis Business um, CannabisBusinessSummit.com. We'd like to thank our special guests and our co-hosts as well for being with us. And thank you for our audience for tuning in for us. Don't forget to download the NCIA's mobile app. If you have anyone that you think that we should be interviewing, reach out to Alexis Olive of All of You Media or reach out to me, Khadija Adams of Girl Get That Money at info at KhadijaAdams.com. Until then, peace, love, and keep your stuff. NCIA's Cannabis Minority Report is a product of the National Cannabis Industry Association and NCIA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We are hosted every week by Khadijah Adams. Our executive producers are Aaron Smith and Vince Chandler. We are directed by Vince Chandler and produced by Bethany Moore and Alexis Olive. Please, please, please find out everything you can about the growing and equitable cannabis industry at thecannabisindustry.org.